0: And welcome to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about sustaining open source for the long haul. Who are we? Where did we come from? Where are we going? What's the story? What's the storybook? How are we going to make things better? Very excited about our guest on this podcast. Before I introduce him, I want to introduce the other panelists. So besides me, Richard Littower, we have Eric Berry today. Eric, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, yeah. Richard? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks yeah. for having me. I appreciate yeah. that. Justin, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. I can't wait for story time.
0: That was Justin Dorfman as well. And our guest today is Dominic Wynn. Dominic is calling from Brooklyn, where he lives, in Windsor Terrace, which is a really nice area of Brooklyn. Super envious of that. Also, his apartment looks amazing. And he is the founder of Chromatic, which is the company, the maintainers, the cheerleaders, the whatever you want to call it behind
2: storybook. JS. Dominic, hey. how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. I, I appreciate you bringing me on here. and I'm so stoked to, to chat with y'all. Yeah, Woo-hoo. I'm really excited to talk to you. Tell us a bit about Storybook. Yeah, Storybook is an open source project. It's used to build UI components and pages in isolation. And it's been adopted so far by the kind of who's who of companies from Microsoft to Airbnb to Salesforce and to your local startup. And really what I think is special about the project is that the community has coalesced around this whole idea of building UIs in isolation, because when you do that, it's much easier and faster to actually do the front-end engineering involved with UI development.
1: So I just remembered, I reached out to you to get on the show. The reason I reached out was we're working with Lyft on a project, the company I work at. And they use Storybook. And I'm like, wow, this is a really cool SaaS product. And then I realized, wait a minute, all this time, I'm thinking this is a paid product. This is an open source product because it's so polished like you don't even realize. And you have a great background like Apollo, Meteor, all these iconic JavaScript open source companies. Where did Storybook come from those? I know that at least for me in my career, I've built on top of my past experiences. Yeah. How did Storybook evolve? Yeah. So
2: I guess there's a a long story and I'll go into it and hopefully I'll I'll wrap it up into a short story at the very end. The long story is that, as Justin mentioned, prior to Storybook, did GraphQL, did Meteor. And Meteor was for the audience who might not be familiar, who's just jumping into JavaScript now was one of the first, or if not the first, full-stack JavaScript framework. And what we did at Meteor was innovated and pioneered some of the the stuff that we see now in the JavaScript ecosystem, things like declarative view layers, Meteor was pre-react, optimistic UIs, hot module reloading. So all of these kind of like ergonomic improvements, I think about it as like the, the kind of nebula, like a gaseous cloud where stars are formed. And so out of Meteor came Apollo GraphQL, which is like the data layer used by a lot of people now think people like github people like probably you name it people use it and what also came out is a uh, view so evan you was also was one of my colleagues at meteor and then storybook came out of like the the kind of thinking that we developed there and if we rewind back to around 2012 and 2012 to 2015 that's where you start seeing these kind of declarative view layers becoming popular and why the hell did they become popular like what's so great about them Well, people at that time were, this is, I think, post-Web 2.0 on the way to what we know today. And developers were having to deal with the scale of the internet (laughs) for one of the first times, right? You have companies like Yelp. I mean, they're still around, God bless them. But like Yelp having to deal with a page for every single restaurant in the world. You had Facebook having to build profile pages for a billion people. And, And that's only one page. The teams weren't growing at the rate that could sustain the requirements of modern kind of like what end users were wanting from front ends. So, and came declarative frameworks, React and Angular at that time, Meteor as well to solve this problem of, I need my UI to be a function of like props and state versus like having to like a jQuery UI where you had to like do all this imperative stuff just to get into the right shape and do a bunch of contortions to build a user experience. That's too hard. What you want is just to state how it's going to work. And then it works. So declarative UIs came about and for a while we didn't know what was gonna happen. But then React blew up, Vue blew up, Angular became also really popular. And what we've seen in the last 2020 in the last couple of years is like more and more people adopting this declarative component driven mindset. And Storybook is one of those the first tools and, and the most popular tool for building these like new kind of components. So to define a component, what does that actually mean? It encapsulates the visual and functional aspects of a piece of code. And what we're seeing also in the rest of the industry is that design tools are also adopting components. The development tools are testing tools. like Everyone is adopting components. And if you look at the kind of long history of what components and why components exist, you can think about them as like standardized parts. They're not actually new (laughs) at all. (laughs) They're just new to the front end. And new to the UI layer, the back end folks have had microservices, containers. And if you like rewind through history too, well, like how did the automotive revolution come about, right? was standardized parts, how did the global shipping network come about? Well, it was those little containers, like that concept. If you put something into a little container, you can put it on a ship and sail across the ocean. The long story is like, we're seeing this component driven movement and storybook is that tool to help people build those components.
3: Declarative UI, just when you talk about that, you're talking about the way that, so instead of appending different components of the UI to something, you're declaring it like as an object. Can you explain the difference between a declarative and imperative UI? It's worth
2: like understanding how we built UIs in the past in order to explain how most people build UIs now. Some people don't do it this way, but most people do it. So in the past, you had to create an interactive experience. Think about like a checkout form. And especially like an animated kind of like checkout form that reveals content reveals like form fields when you click on something, when you click on the visa button or something, right? And this is a visa changes the form to allow me to accept visa cards. So in the past, what you had to do is have that form and then you'd have to use a tool like jQuery to script the interactions of that form. So what happens when you on click, so on click a visa button reveal like load this into the UI, and then do a bunch of other stuff. And all of that stuff had to be chained together. Literally, like, here's the instructions in a kind of a list to yield that interactive experience. With declarative UIs, the model is a little bit different. You think about your UI as a series of states, not as a list of things you need to do in order to get into a state. It's like you define the states and that allows you to think about your UI as, as a function, like a, a unit test almost like a, yeah, I don't know if I'm like explaining that well, it's this idea of thinking about your UI in states, not thinking about your UI and as a, a thing to script.
3: And so this is the concept that kind of drove Meteor. Is that one of the core principles that Meteor came out with?
2: Yeah, well, it's one of the ideas that came out of Meteor and a lot of other places, right? It's JavaScript happens at the same time as what we noticed. But one of the core ideas is that, Hey. I want to be able to express my UI based on data and based on state, user state in an app rather than a series of instructions to get it into the right state.
1: Speaking of Meteor, you mentioned Avenue of Vue.js. Yeah. It's like a Meteor mafia. Who else came out of this collective?
2: (laughs) Apollo and Vue and Storybook are the I think the main projects that I'm aware of right now. And I certainly had my time there, right? So probably more projects have subsequently come out of it after Storybook was started, but I'm not quite sure. So I'm looking at the
0: GitHub for Storybook. And Storybook is a UI component library that works with all these different frameworks. It works with React, it works with Angular, et cetera. And it's got a ton of stars. I mean, 60,000 stars right now. And it, even cooler than that, at the bottom, you have like a list of backers and sponsors. Yeah. And the, what is the financial situation? Four
2: yeah. storybook. How much money do you need? Where does it go? I'm just, just curious. Yeah, there are a bunch of different ways to run an open source project and really sponsor the folks that, that are behind it. A lot of that, those ways are like legislated on Twitter endlessly. The way that we do it at Meteor is two ways. One, we have this idea of we're a community led open source project. We have an open collective that donates, like folks in the community donate money. And that's what's used to effectively for marketing, marketing purposes, swag, doing mm. stuff that like CI, bills, like kind of incidentals. But the donations can't really sponsor like an open source project at the scale and dedication of the maintainers needed to push that forward. Because when you think about it, it hasn't been enough to really pay someone a salary without asking for donations all the time. And that's what, I think that's what's happening in Babel right now. You end up prioritizing fundraising from the community and that looks like an NPR type of Wikipedia situation, putting something and that's not the the experience that we necessarily want to offer so what we do on um, the chromatic is the company behind meteor is we have like maintainers like official maintainers whose full-time job is to push that project forward build the features that people want and maintain the, the kind of core api and that is in partnership with our community we have 1200 maybe 1300 contributors now and those contributors fill in the rest of the feature set before meteor they been like instrumental in like making it popular and getting the vision of isolated component and UI development out there. For Meteor, did you mean for Storybook? Oh yeah, for Storybook, excuse me. I'm like, <laughs> confusing all of, my, I'm confusing all of my, my open source projects now.
1: You have 16 employees, if I read correctly, right? We
2: have 14.
1: 14? Okay. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I was looking at LinkedIn, I yeah. got that wrong. But
2: they you are know. hiring, yes. Yeah. If you're an engineer looking for a job in doing open source development, we are the company for you. I had to put it No, out. that's
1: good. That's what we're here for. <laughs> You're right. Donations, they either work really well or not at all, or it's that. You have seed funding. Who are yes. these seed funders that believe in your mission?
2: Our lead is a CRV. It was a Charles River Ventures. They're out of Boston and San Francisco. And then we have designer funds. We have a, a handful of angels from folks like uh, Netlify who are listed on our site. Yeah, we are venture backed as a company. And the idea with the venture backing is that it allows us to build complementary products to Storybook. We're not in the business of making like Storybook Plus or Storybook licensed Storybook. That's not our game. Our game is to build really useful tools alongside Storybook that don't really make sense to do in the open source. They're cloud tools they're collaboration tools. You need a database somewhere to bring it all together. You need authentication. You actually want a security policy and a security model that someone else maintains as a front-end engineering team who's buying our services. So that's why Chromatic exists. So Chromatic is a tool, a cloud service that automates the UI development workflow with Storybook. So what that means is that in Storybook, you're building UIs in isolation and you're generating these things called stories. So stories are the kind of salient bits of what a component looks like in any given kind of situation. Think about a button. You have a button that's a primary state button. You have a secondary state button, you have a button with an outline, a button with an icon, a button with just like 15 variations of a button. And each one of those is encoded as a story. So what Chromatic does is that it takes those stories, it automates the workflow around them in a bunch of different ways, things like visual testing. So what visual testing does is that it takes a snapshot, like an image snapshot of that button, compares it to the last known good state of that button to identify changes because. We've all been in that situation, at least I I certainly am in that situation all the time where I make a change to something like CSS and everything breaks. So Chromatic prevents that situation from happening by like implementing this technique called visual testing. And then we publish Storybook, we version Storybook, we publish Storybook online. I mean, we provide like UI review, like collaborative tools around these stories. And I guess the core thing there is the story construct that lives alongside of a component is super interesting because it's like the bona fide like state that the UI is supposed to end up in. And so when you actually have that encoded somewhere in your code as a story, that means anyone on your team and any new person that onboards onto your team can see what that UI looks like at any given time. The way that people are doing it without Storybook in like a sucky way is if you're building UI, you have to run the app, run the, the backend, get your UI into the right shape, do a bunch of gymnastics, click around to get to that screen that's buried really deep somewhere. Only then can you begin working with Storybook. You just start working immediately because everything's built in
1: isolation. So you have investors that get it, I hope. You're not going to be a MongoDB and say, you know what? This open source license really isn't working for us. (laughs) Sure, sure, yeah. We're going to go switch. Are they on board with this? Hey, We have the open source project and we have our company will build premium services for the open source project. Don't touch the open source project.
2: The short answer is yeah. And if you look at the long answer in the context of other open source companies that are coming out right now and and are launching, it seems like this is the model that everyone has landed on that separates you from these older style, like open source, I would say classic open source business models, things like Red Hat selling support, things like Mongo selling licenses or Elastic selling licenses as well, and so on and so forth. It seems like the modern kind of like open source business models, build an open source project, sell some type of service that complements it. Think about like Vercel is, is a good example. They build Next.js. Next.js is a, a huge and popular library. We also use that internally to power our apps. And they have a like deployment publishing solution for that framework.
3: Just a little bit of background. I'm primarily a Ruby on Rails developer, have been for a very long time. And when Storybook came out, yeah, I can probably speak for many of my peers when we were like, dang it, how do we get that? Yes. And there have been a lot of attempts to recreate that. I think what you've captured with Storybook really solidified the idea of independent components that can be used across different applications. And I don't think that was really looked at like something that was viable until Storybook came out and said, look, here's your library. Here's what you can create. And now it's almost fun to go to different companies' websites and view their storybooks and see their components. Is there a direction with it to work with or integrate with non-JavaScript-based frameworks? I'd like to hear the direction of that, what your thoughts are in that area.
2: So the good news is that it seems like the non-JavaScript frameworks and the JavaScript tooling are meeting in the middle. So speaking to the Rails thing, Storybook supports Rails. So there is a kind of movement in the Rails community. You're probably more familiar with this than I am with uh, View components. And View components are championed by, I think, GitHub and a few other organizations and people. And so what Vue components are is they offer that same component construct that we have in JavaScript land in Rails, as I understand it. And Storybook, we support a bunch of different things. And one of the things is this thing called Storybook slash server. And that allows you to effectively render your view components from Rails inside of a Storybook environment and get the benefits of the rest of the Storybook ecosystem, and which are immense. You have all the add-ons, all of the kind of integrations, all of the, the what have yous that people in the community have created. Those are absolutely available to you. You mentioned Ford earlier and the
0: shipping container. Ford obviously ended up with a giant monopoly over the automobile industry. I have a Honda, but in the sense that it was very popular and they made a lot of money. In fact, this podcast is partially funded by Ford money, because <laughs> like, that's how it worked, right? Yeah, that the Ford, Ford had so much money yeah. that he built a philanthropic organization <laughs> yeah. that is funding me. So it's very relevant. Shipping containers is more interesting because shipping container wasn't necessarily copyrighted the same way, and there's a lot of companies that have capitalized off it. You see them on the sides of the containers. Evergreen. What's interesting to me is looking at. Storybook and seeing the fact that you're actually able to support many different frameworks. Yeah. So Meteor competed against Angular, right? Yeah. It was really tough. It, and you end up with having conflicting ideologies. So, for instance, isomorphic was like the hot word five years ago. <laughs> I didn't really know what it meant, but it was yeah. super fun to use and feel intelligent when I was at the bar.
2: And not many people knew what it meant. <laughs>
0: yeah. But just I'm was, not sure I knew what it meant. <laughs> yeah. Well, server side, front side, you know, yeah,
2: whatever. Yeah, exactly.
0: But looking at the fact that you're a venture capitalist funded modern open source startup with 14 employees. Yeah. And looking at the fact that you have 1300 contributors. Yeah. What's interesting to me is how are you avoiding becoming a kitchen sink? How are you making sure that you don't just fill all the needs for everyone and then do it badly? It's hard to deal with such a massive framework if it needs specific things for your specific framework here. Like, how are you not doing that?
2: I mean, that's a good question. It's wrapped up in that question. Our product concerns are how we accept and build features in the community. So it might make sense to talk about like why we exist in the first place and then use that as the the guiding light. Why we exist is like our mission as a company is to improve the UX of the internet. We think we can do that in a meaningful way because Storybook actually helps you build the bona fide uh, UIs that actually get shipped to the end user and any kind of improvements that we make to storybooks so does that get distributed to all the largest companies on <laughs> on the planet and then those tools help them build more uis that then get shipped to like hundreds of millions of people and so given that our kind of mission is to to improve the ux of the internet i think storybook is actually pretty tightly scoped on one part and one concern of the front-end stack so unlike meteor uh, god bless them which tried to solve every single part of the front end stack. It had its own view layer, it had its own data system, it had its own package manager, God forbid. We focus only on the components, only on the UI layer. And we're not building necessarily the frameworks. We're not building like a React. We're not building an Angular. We're building a tool that helps you create components in isolation because we're not building the actual frameworks, more we're building the tool that kind of wraps some of like the constructs in those frameworks, we have a, a little bit of an easier way of saying, no, that doesn't make sense for us to build. Like We're not going to build a CSS and JS library, for instance. We're not going to build like a, another React. That doesn't make sense. What we build are things like add-ons that help you accessibility test your UIs interactively. We build ways to integrate and talk to your test runner. And so, yeah, the way that we're thinking about it is more like we're trying to integrate and offer a good standard of experience to everyone versus trying to boil the ocean. Essentially, you say we there
0: because there's 1,286 people who aren't employees
2: of Chromatic. Are you giving money back to them? And if so, how? It's an open source project. People are volunteering their own time and effort to push it forward.
1: And also, those are probably hit and run contributors. They're not like 1,200 full-time always committing, right? I mean, yeah.
0: Yeah, And it was meant to be a bit of a devil's advocate question. What I'm just curious about is you say we build add-ons, we're building this framework, which does this type of thing. And that's awesome. And it's super cool. And I like that you have all these features. And it's, it's clear that there's a need for this product and that it's working very well. It's also clear that there are people who are willing to invest a lot of money into it. And there's often not a lot of people who will invest in open source projects because it's really hard to make them go. And because they may not be a viable market fit. So you found a really awesome way of making network and like the modern open source products thing where you like you sell services on top of it in some sort of way. Right. You have other things that you do, which are monetizable. What I'm just curious about is what does it mean for you to be an open source project that's so successful, knowing that when you say we build stuff, what you're saying is all of us. But when you say we are a company, you're saying a subset. And so I wonder how you mentally manage the divide between the like storybook community as a whole needing to be sustained. Even if they're drive-by people, maybe they could have been more if they wanted to versus your goal as a company. I find that like this tension, maybe I'm not being as eloquent as I would like talking about it, but I'm just curious if you've thought about that.
2: Yeah, I guess this speaks to the business model and it's pretty straightforward. We build an open source project to scratch our own we build a commercial tool to make money. We put money back into the open source project, and in doing so, the development experience is better for everyone. And it's that cycle that we're trying to maintain and continue. And the commercial aspect feeds back like directly back into more features, more like improvements, more maintenance in open source. And to give you a bit of context of running one of these open source projects, Media or Apollo or. Uh, storybook which is my experience but then these larger like long lived open source projects they take a lot of work and they take a lot of like context over a long period of time and outside of that context it, and that's like a responsibility that is somewhat overlooked because people are thinking about like, oh like code commits like that's all i care about that's like how i measure your productivity as like an open source contributor well that's not really it's about knowing like where the project started and what direction the project is going. No one really knows the destination. I don't know the destination. Hell, like, <laughs> I think I know the destination, maybe, but how do not really know? <laughs> and when I say we and use the royal we, what I mean is, look, this is like a collaboration between where my history in the open source and our company's history building and maintaining this open source project is, and like what the community wants and what the community is asking and our responsibility as like maintainers. I see it us more as like conduits for like the good ideas from the nearly 1300 people that contribute. And to your point, yes, they might be drive-by contributions, sure. Also, some of those drive-by contributions are really great, but they just tell us like, oh, you suck. Here's how to fix it. And that's exactly what we wanna hear, right? Like, <laughs> And that's come up so many times. I'm super grateful for those people that have been like, yeah, I work on the UI part of the storybook. Yeah, the, the UI part, this thing sucks. Like, here's a a better solution. (laughs) And I'm like, sweet. That's, you're right. Let's adopt that.
3: (laughs) I actually want to follow up on your question, Richard, and actually possibly ask you the question. Here's how I view Storybook and Chromatic. It looks like Chromatic is really a a SaaS-based, team-based solution for storing and managing your team's components in a central location. Is that a fair assessment of what your company's primary offering is? Yes, So your question, Richard, this is almost identical to Discourse, where Discourse is an open source project. They built a product around it to basically allow for people who don't want to self host to do it. I want to give that question back to you, Richard, and ask you, why would the funds that are generated to develop and maintain this project, why should they be distributed outside of the team that's the primary maintainers of it? I'm honestly curious to know. It's
0: because the primary maintainers are not the only people who make the project successful. For me, the community is actually what's important, and we keep hearing the word community. And if community here doesn't just mean people in the project, but also means global companies, the Fortune 500, which may also be benefiting off of this. So it sounds like Storybook is absolutely everywhere, which means that right now global capitalism is actually really benefiting from Storybook. And what we're seeing is only a few people are investing back, and then you have your clients, and then on top of that that small part, that small business, Chromatic, may not necessarily give funds back to everyone in the project that makes the community grow. And I'm not blaming, by the way. I'm just pointing out that this is a really interesting thing where if Chromatic says that we are the community in some sense because we have the ability to maintain the project and because we're building this thing which goes forward and we don't know where it's going, but we're trying really hard to make sure that the maintainers are supported. What I haven't heard a lot in the industry is... How do you make sure that people who dip in and out, people who are not maintainers, people who make the community a thing, can actually also benefit from the juggernaut that is Storybook JS in the sense of its global impact? And that's a really interesting question for me, because it's a question we're not asking a lot in open source. Sorry for talking too much. I know I'm a panelist. That was the perspective I was coming from. And I was just wondering, Dominic, what you thought about it? because. That's a perspective I haven't voiced a lot, yeah. where like actually open source projects benefits from people's free time, which means it's actually exploiting unused labor. I'm I not disagree with you. I,
3: I yeah. disagree. That's too. okay. That's okay. I, you I can completely disagree with you. And I respectfully cool. disagree with you. Let, Let me. Th- yes, go ahead. I, one sec, one sec.
1: Let me just get this one point in. And Richard, I'm glad that you're going against the grain here. The only thing is people can put on their resume, I committed to Storybook. That is the currency, I believe.
3: I don't that- Believe that is the case either. And Dominic, I, I'd love your input. But my view, and Dominic, I want to like make sure you understand. Like, you're doing great. Don't change. Keep going. I'm, uh, don't, yeah, we're having a discussion. I agree with that.
2: I, I totally agree with that as well. sure, sure. So, yeah. but, No, I get it. This is this is this is great.
3: Yeah, but for me, the issue is like people who contribute to it—they're self-serving. It's a self-serving action. They are contributing to it for their own benefit. If you buy something and you tinker with it and it makes it better, that's, I mean, you did it for you. So there's such sensitivity around the funding of open source. Believe me, I'm very aware of that. But the fact of the matter is that what we have here is a very well-created open source application that has helped an immense amount of people. And the difference between what you're saying, Richard, and that it's helping all these giant companies make money is it's not a direct product offering that they're saying, We're going to take this, we're going to rebrand it and sell it as our own. That's not happening. And when that is the case, I agree with you hundred percent when that's not the case, when it's a tool that's being used by anybody to me, honestly, that is the beauty of open source. That is the beauty of what we've created. And that's the beauty of what you've created, Dominic. And that's where I think I agree with you in some certain cases, Richard, but not in this case.
0: I don't think we actually disagree. I think you're reading something into what I'm saying. That's different. I'm not saying that's not true. I know that's true. And that's what open source, that's why it exists. That's why it's really awesome. That's one of the reasons I run this podcast because the ability to actually maintain projects and the ability to like make them and have them just go out there and have people use them. That's super cool. That's great. It's awesome. I'm just thinking in a world, which is perfect in a world in which everyone is actually reimbursed their labor in the ways that they would like to be reimbursed. I wonder if it's possible that you could also help people who are ancillary or who are just dipping in and out besides giving them a violin on their resume. I wonder if it's possible to actually distribute funds equitably to everyone who's part of a project in, in a more cooperative model.
3: Don't you believe that's more of a out of the scope of this? To me, that's the bigger. Well, to be problem. honest, I asked the
0: question because it sounded like Storybook JS was just doing really well. Like, it just sounds like a really awesome project. That's really great. And I didn't really have a lot like it's it's perfect. I don't know what else to say about it. So I'm like, OK, what have we not asked on this show? That's very different? Oh, that's a great that's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah.
2: Sorry, Dominic, I talk too much. I th- yeah, I, th- I think to Eric's point. It is like a kind of collectivist bent. And when I say we, and and use the Royal we, I mean, like we, as like the community that's all aligned towards building UIs in isolation. And to, I think Eric's point again, let me give you an example of like how open source contributors benefit from this. So the hard part about open source is maintaining it for a really long time. And it's the release management. It's the kind of understanding where it's going to go. As I said before, And what does maintaining it for a really long time actually mean? It means like consistent releases. It means bug fixes that happen at a regular cadence. It means that you continue to support the rest of the ecosystem as it changes. Webpack 4 versus Webpack 5, that's a huge migration that took many days to get right. Likewise, React 17 from React 16, like huge migration. View 3 from View 2, just staying afloat is is like a full-time job and and what we hope to offer for the community from a chromatic as like the maintainers is a stable release cadence that keeps up with the rest of the ecosystem and includes some new helpful handy features but what we don't offer is like every single feature out of the box that any developer could use that's why we created this add-on system that allows any developer to if we're thinking about like their own motivations to build something that scratches their own itch and integrate it with Storybook. And what we promise is, hey, this thing's going to be a stable API that you can use for a really long time and we're going to support it. And we're going to support it for free. You don't have to do anything. You're just, it's just going to work. And in exchange, they're creating an add-on or some type of integration with Storybook that helps themselves, sure, and helps their company, helps them at their job, and it helps the rest of the community. And I think that to me feels like a, a kind of a win-win scenario where we're like, just here behind the scenes, chipping away at that API and like integrating with the core tools. And everyone in the community is like building their own things, integrating with whatever other tools beyond what we offer that make their lives easier that we might not even use. Concrete examples are integrations with other view layers that aren't the top three or four. We support a react view, angular and web components out of the box, but there's a ton of other view layers. There's like Racks, there's Mithril, there's like a Riot, there's Marco, stuff that you might not even have heard of because they might be used inside of a company, right? Alibaba makes Racks. I think they're the only people that use it. And Marco, I think, came from eBay or something. But those integrations, those came from the community because the community wanted them and, and wanted to access to the rest of the storybook ecosystem.
0: Nice. Incredibly eloquent and actually probably a good place for us to wrap up, which is good because <laughs> it's timely. I appreciate Dominic. That. <laughs> yeah. Before you go. Yeah. And before we get on to our quick bit, which is spotlight, where we talk about things which are awesome in the world that we want to yeah. draw attention to, I want to ask where can people
2: follow you online? Yeah. You can find me on Twitter at Dom, D-O-M-Y-E-N, Yen. Or you can see what Storybook's all about by going to storybook.js.org. and that kind of gives you the feature list and why Storybook can help you. You can follow the company, Chromatic, at chromatic.com. So if you end up using Storybook, we're a tool that complements it really well and makes your job a lot easier. Sweet. Great. Incredibly well-honed pitch there, but
0: it's, <laughs> it's still good. It's still good. Thank you so much. All right. Before you go, we have this thing we do at the end of every show, and it's called Spotlight. And we yes. point out either open source projects that have really helped us out or... Pretty much anything that you think just needs some light because it's super awesome. Mostly because we're running out of projects as hosts because it's like episode 89. So Eric Barry, what's your spotlight today?
3: Mine is going to be a specific tutorial on Dockerizing your Rails app. And I've been frustrated with Docker off and on through the years and they've definitely come around. But I'm finally at the point where I feel like I'd rather work in Docker for Rails development than outside. And so that's a huge accomplishment for Docker to get there. But it also takes some really good templating and like understanding how it works. And at my work, we've Dockerized everything and it's pretty incredible. So if you Google Hopsoft Docker file, but I will link it in the show notes. But it is a fantastic tutorial on how to get that set up. Also, if you don't follow him, Nate Hopkins, who is a dear friend of mine, he's a, a brilliant coder. He's the creator oh, man. of his. Follow him on Twitter. His Twitter account is H-O-P-S-O-F-T. The dude's really incredible and just creating awesome tools exactly like we've heard about today. Awesome. Thank you. Justin Dorfman.
1: Wormhole.app by the goat for us. He's like the Drake <laughs> development and <laughs> he's behind WebTorn and Standard JS. Check out Wormhole.app. It's a ride. That's all I'll say.
0: It is pretty awesome. Faros is the best. I need to take a look at that. Wow. Yeah, it's true. really cool. The animation was also very intense. I think they fixed it, but maybe okay. My spotlight today is Brian T. Ford. Brian T. Ford was uh, one of the early maintainers for Angular. And I was just a random, just open source contributor down on my luck in San Francisco. And I just messaged him being like, hey, do you want to meet for a beer at a bar? And started the friendship. And it's just so awesome to have maintainers who are also interested in being cool people. He has since gone on to make an amazing, high fashion company where like he sews his own like jackets and stuff and it's the coolest thing in the world you should go check him out yeah Brian t ford is great dom
2: what is your spotlight yeah how many do i get <laughs> i guess there's a couple um <laughs> i'm really impressed by open source projects and and things that have like longevity just because it shows a modicum of like dedication over a long period of time and that's something that's really satisfying for me so the first one is state js by sasha Grief. That is a really cool project. He's been running it for, I think, three or four years now. It's stateofjs.com. It's a survey that surveys all the JavaScript technology. And over time, and every single year, it gets more interesting and better. other projects include, these are softballs, but like the WordPresses, the Reacts, the views and angulars of the world. Maintaining those communities is so hard. (laughs) Um, And maintaining those projects is so hard. And the ability to do it for a long period of time is like super impressive to me. And then newer projects that I'm a fan of are uh, MSW, which stands for Mock Service Worker. It's by this guy in the Czech Republic. Fantastic little project. uses service workers to mock APIs in the browser so that you can build more UIs in isolation. It doesn't really have much to do with it related to Storybook, but not quite. And then Mirage.js is another similar popular tool for doing something similar. I think Sam Selikoff, I might be mispronouncing his, his last name. Also a super cool project that helps you mock and build UIs. Awesome. Sweet. Yeah. All right. Well,
0: Dom, it's been awesome having you on. Great learning about chromatic and storybook. Sorry for the hard ball, but you stood up just fine to it. So that's it. Thank you everyone and take care.
2: No worries. I appreciate you.